The Talking Point with Kathy Motsasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, I see some of you reflecting on the conversation that we've just had on the tightening of laws and as far as gender-based violence uh, is concerned. Somebody, uh, this is Bongizwe Madondo, listening from Germany, uh, says, Hi, Kathy, I disagree with you on the lack of resources. Resources are not a problem, but lack of resourcefulness. Our police are not well-trained, and so they can't be resourceful. That's one view there. Ah, this, this message from Donald, I mean, uh, Donald and Rustenburg, thanks for, for, for sharing this. And uh, Donald here says, a woman was stabbed uh, by her boyfriend in front of police officers who she called for help. It happened five days ago. The boyfriend escaped in full view of the police. In full view of the police, what do you even say to that? So uh, you can definitely expect us to have more of this conversation. Well, the United Nations Secretary General is following the unfolding developments in Afghanistan with deep concern. It's amid a deteriorating security environment as the Taliban continues to make rapid gains towards the capital, Kabul. The group claims to have captured the country's third largest city of Herat, while intense fighting has been reported in and around the second largest city of Kandahar. The UN's concerned posture comes after the U.S. Embassy warned American citizens to leave the country as its ability to to assist them was extremely limited due to reduced staff as a result of the devolving security situation on the ground. Sherwin Bryce Peace has more on that story. Taliban territorial gains have been swift after U.S. and NATO troops began their withdrawal from the country with U.S. intelligence indicating this week that Kabul could fall within 90 days, revising earlier estimates that the capital would fall between six and 12 months. Stefan Dujric is the U.S. Secretary General spokesperson. The Secretary General is following with deep concern developments in Afghanistan, including the latest fighting in Herat and Kandahar. We are particularly concerned about the shift of fighting to urban areas, with the potential for civilian harm being even greater. We hope that the discussions this week in Doha between representatives of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan and the Taliban, along with regional and international envoys, will restore the pathway to a negotiated settlement to the conflict. The United Nations stands ready to contribute to such a settlement and remains focused on providing assistance to the increasing number of Afghans in need. The UN's political mission in the country employs 300 international staff and an additional 3,400 national staff. Dujeric affirmed that the organization was doing everything it could to ensure the safety of its employees and their families. As long-stalled peace negotiations between the Afghan government, the Taliban, the United States and others resumed in Doha, Qatar this week. The Security Council has a very important role to play uh, through a unified uh, voice in helping bring uh, peace and at least halt to, uh, halt to the fighting as quickly as possible uh, in Afghanistan. We are continuing to engage with the Taliban uh, in Doha. I mean, we are continuing to believe that there is a political solution that can be had. This doesn't mean that we are also blind to what is going on in the, on the ground. Uh, we are not blind uh, to the suffering of the civilians who are caught in crossfire in, uh, in urban uh, environments. As to whether or not they have 
breached an agreement signed with the U.S., uh, that is for the parties who've signed the agreement to declare whether or not a party is in breach. The U.N. says 18.4 million people need humanitarian assistance, while almost 400,000 have been displaced by fighting this year alone. The airport is a critical uh, path in and out of the country for uh, for humanitarians and and, and others. Uh, I understand from reading the media that there are discussions about security at the airport. Those, as far as I know, do not include include the UN. We are, as in any conflict area, uh, we are in touch with all parties to the conflict, uh, reminding them of their responsibility, uh, not only to protect civilian infrastructure, but of the inviability of UN uh, premises, of the need uh, and their responsibilities to ensure uh, that UN staff uh, and UN premises are kept uh, safe. While acknowledging that the situation was not going in the right direction, the Pentagon this week expressed their view that Afghan forces had the capacity to make a big difference on the battlefield, despite the Taliban's rapid advances that has allowed them to already claim control of two-thirds of the country. I'm Sherwin Bricebees in New York. Well, let me welcome onto the show to help us make sense of all these developments, Ibrahim Dean, who is a researcher at the Afro-Middle East Centre. Ibrahim, good morning to you. Good morning and thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time just to speak to us today. Firstly, let's talk about the impact of the U.S. leaving Afghanistan. There's been 20 years of military presence by the U.S. in Afghanistan. So what, what is the impact of this de- decision? So I think there's two things we need to look at. So as mm. you said, the U.S. has been in for 20 years. They have concentrated more on, on trying to counter the Taliban instead of building institutions and proper institutions and endorsing and approving proper governance for future. What has happened is, you know, that has meant that even at the Venice in 2008, the government controlled, what, 10, 50% of the, of the country's territory. It never really did control the whole of Afghanistan. Um, uh, you know, there was more, uh, the other areas were more blurry, and the Taliban still controlled it between 10 and 20% of the at its lowest point in 2008. Um, and, and so what has happened is, uh, you know, this, the semblance of normality or the semblance of control uh, that everyone, you know, I mean, who hasn't been looking very closely at it, was, uh, had thought, uh, basically ruptured since the U.S. has pulled out. And, you know, I mean, as we see now, much of the country is now in control or under the control of the Taliban. What are the moral costs of this decision? And uh, I suppose perhaps the, the, the basic question to also ask is, um, is it the right thing to do? I think it's a very difficult question to answer because the question we also then need to pose is, what is the moral cost of the intervention in the first place? Um, and and, and, uh, and the death that were caused by the intervention. So, you know, we can't judge the one without judging the other. Um, and the fact that, you know, uh, that's why we are in where we are, that, you know, many Afghans initially didn't support the U.S. intervention. And that's why the Taliban remained so uh, popular. Um, and and in, in, instead of actually using the 20 years to build popularity for governing structure, the U.S. was more concerned about uh, militancy and general instead of actually real governance. And, 
And so, yes, you know, the moral cost of the, of, of the U.S. pulling out now is the government collapse. Um, you know, they may be, uh, Taliban may introduce a lot more conservative uh, um, legal laws, uh, you know, domestic laws, which, uh, you know, which may be the case. Uh, um, the question, though, I mean, is how then do we deal with this situation in a way that actually promotes, um, uh, you know, bottom-up change rather than uh, uh, basically similar to what's happening in the Cold War the institute government uh, that we think would support us and after five ten years they collapse and the situation works. Ibrahim, you, you've raised a, a, an important issue about, you know, if we are to have a conversation about the moral cost now, that conversation actually applies to the beginning of that pro- of the process and why the U.S. has been in Afghanistan over the last 20 years to begin with. Take us through some of that history. So I think, okay, first, when we're looking at Afghanistan, uh, uh, you know, many many start from the Soviet intervention in the, in the, in the 60s and 70s um, uh, or, um, and, and 80s. And the fact that the U.S. then empowered during the Cold War, uh, you know, uh, Afghan fighters and also sent in a whole lot of fighters, you know, from abroad, funded them uh, to actually confront the Soviets. Um, you know, that was between 1978-79 and 1988-89. Um, uh, and, you know, that's when we saw the U.S. actually, you know, Al-Qaeda, for example, was called the base, supported and funded uh, at least partially by the U.S. and, you know, by uh, Pakistani delegates. Um, and what we then saw was, uh, you know, um, the fact that because there was no real centralized state or state itself, uh, you know, the country after the U.S. went pulled out, then was divided into different warlord and uh, warlord control areas where the Taliban was a student movement that sought stability similar to Somalia. Uh, you know, very conservative views, um, uh, then sought stability and began controlling a lot more territories. Um, 9-11 happened and the Taliban was our lead house, uh, Osama bin Laden. Uh, you know, they debated over whether they knew about the plan, uh, but, you know, it did refuse to hand it over and the U.S. went in. Um, the Taliban then later this year actually sought negotiations in late 2001. Uh, but the U.S. feeling emboldened by the support it got internationally said that it would, uh, you know, decided to, and under the bush, either with us or against our doctrine, um, decided to militarily confront the group. Uh, whereas at that time, we could have seen maybe a political solution, a negotiated solution would actually have worked because it would have, you know, been able to um, slowly but surely ensure that you know, a solution had both domestic and international legitimacy. Uh, what happened in the intervening years was that the U.S. continued funding uh, politicians who most of them had very dubious legitimacy, accused of corruption, um, and, uh, you know, over the interceding two years, we've seen a few elections, contested elections, widespread fraud, uh, vote rigging, um, you know, Afghanistan had in the, in the previous two elections, they had two, basically, two presidents claiming uh, victory. And, you know, in that interfering period, life for some of them got better in, in, in the major cities of Kabul. We, we started seeing development. But in the more rural areas, things were as normal. Mm. Um, and this actually allowed the Taliban to uh, consolidate or reconsolidate. And, you know, even already in the 16th and 17th, it's controlling 
30 to 40% of sales there, and the government has to give us 40% of sales there. So, you know, prior to the pullout, we already knew, and I mean, if you see the U.S. intelligence reports now, everyone knew that um, that the Taliban was in the territorial control. The belief was that, uh, you know, a political solution could be found before that. Um, but this is not yet materialized. So when we look then at the justification, at least on the part of the U.S. for going into Afghanistan, it was very much linked to their strategy in terms of the war on on terror. Does that mean that this decision of them coming out of Afghanistan, that it represents a shift in that strategy and in in that policy? We are trying to move away from that. Uh, a slight shift away from this. You know, we saw Biden trying to revoke or deauthorize uh, foreign intervention act, you know, or which, which had previously allowed, uh, um, you know, American uh, American troops to actually go into different countries unauthorized for certain period of time. So that war act has been, you know, there has been moved uh, afloat to try and revoke or change that. So now you're going to have more congressional approval because this was instituted for the winter. So. We are seeing a move away from this, a move away from the deployment of U.S. troops all over the place, mainly because it has failed so badly. But, you know, there are two other concerning factors. One is the shift towards the use of drones, uh, which actually means the U.S. now can carry out what you'd call forever lasting or forever wars. And two is, you know, the continued uh, undermining what is to undermine democracy and not uh, a lack of support for democratic institutions. So, you know, the biggest idea or the biggest method or the most uh, optimal method of combating uh, militancy in the region is actually by supporting democratic forces. The U.S. still mm-hmm. continues to support dictators in Egypt, you know, has not said enough about the uh, constitutional coup in Tunisia. Uh, and, and those issues are actually leading to a situation where the real democrats are actually becoming undermined both, both ways. So, so in many ways, then one could argue that the presence of the U.S. military in Afghanistan contributed to um, the political landscape and the way in which um, the, the balance of, of power was, was sitting. This withdrawal, what does it mean in as far as stability, in as far as political leadership for Afghanistan is concerned? I, I think I, I think you hit the nail on the head that the Taliban wasn't very popular all over the country, um, and you know just before the US, it, uh, it, it wasn't very popular anymore. The first area that it now controls is actually the north. So the US intervention or lack of actual focus on other issues have actually contributed to the popularity of the Taliban, which are now seen as a force that can bring stability to parts of the region by much of the region. Um, in terms of the politics of, of the country, um, it's it, it very unlikely that that the country will, you know, be on a democratic trajectory anytime soon. But I mean, was it? At the, you know, what, the question is, was it under the U.S. Uh, president also on a democratic trajectory when the elections were marred by fraud and voter rigging? Um, but you know, in terms so, uh, it does seem as if. Uh, uh, the Taliban will have to be incorporated into, into governance now, uh, will have to be given much more per se for uh, a solution to occur. Failing which, uh, I mean, much of the gains, and there were very few, uh, that occurred you know, during the U.S. intervention will, will be reversed. 
Ibrahim Dean, let me thank you so much for coming onto the show today. He is a researcher at the Afro Middle East Center. It's just gone 11 o'clock. Luyanda Maume has your latest news update.